Ho, 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 my little pudding cups. Welcome back to another episode of the Alston Pudding Podcast. I am Harry. Happy holidays to everyone. It's that time of year. I'm going to call this our podcast holiday special, even though we don't really have that much holiday-related content. I will say that the singer I'm talking to just put out a holiday EP, a mix of originals and covers, uh, and it is it is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. You're going to hear a song from it later in the episode, but yeah, I am I'm really excited to to get this one out there because this was a great, really fun talk. My guests, I should introduce them: Naomi Westwater. She is a roots Americana blues folk in that realm singer songwriter from uh, originally from Cape Cod, but currently a Boston resident, Berkeley alum. Earlier this year, she dropped uh, an EP, Feelings, which recently made Austin Pudding's top 30 local albums of the year list. Plus, she was nominated for a Boston Music Award. But anyway, she just released Yule, an EP in collaboration with Heather Scott of Hawthorne that is so, so beautiful. It will make a great addition to your your holiday soundtrack this week. But yeah, other than that, we talk about sci-fi and fantasy as a genre. Yeah, we get we get into Dune a little bit and a little bit there's a little astrology talk for you astro freaks out there later on in the episode. Yeah. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Naomi Westwater. Have a great week everybody. Bye.
To our listeners, I'm Harry. I'm here with Naomi Westwater this week. They are a roots, blues, Americana musician based around Boston. Uh, they also are, you do like tarot readings too. and Yeah, just, yeah, general spiritual stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you also work pretty closely with Club Passim as like a, an educator in their like lyrics and songwriting programs. Yeah, I'm teaching, I've been teaching this past year, um, a few lyric writing, songwriting classes, which has actually been such a joy. So yeah, yeah, juggling a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Nice, nice. So I know like one of your classes just kicked off and it's like lyric writing, but specifically about nature. Yeah, it's incredibly specific. The class is lyric and poetry writing inspired by nature. And it basically was just me saying like, what is the exact class I would love to teach mm-hmm. kind of like a little empowerment moment of like I- I've been freelance now for like over a little over a year since the pandemic kind of really hit and so a lot of moments of like oh yeah I'm the boss so I can like pick what I want to teach and so the class has been really cool it's cut into three different sections where we're working on songs inspired by a, a memory of nature and then I led them in a nature themed meditation and so now they're working on a song inspired by that meditation and then we're doing a song inspired by nature itself going to be doing walking meditations audio walking prompts and they will um, listen to those prompts while they go for walks and kind of gather material some physical material of, of like rocks and sticks and leaves and stuff and just walking around and um, with that experience and writing from that. So it's been really, really fun to teach. Um, My students are writing beautiful stuff and um, it's also inspired me to write a little bit, which is always lovely too. So yeah, it's been a joy to teach that class. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, And it sounds like you found like a good sort of way to to teach that and to present that to your students. Um, Because writing in general, but like also specifically writing lyrics and poetry can be like such a subjective and like personal experience. And like, I don't think I would personally want to teach that even if I like could, just because like, I don't, I I feel like my relation when I'm reading something that like, especially like a poem that like a friend sends me, I'm like, I don't know how to give constructive notes on this necessarily because like Mm. I want to trust that you're writing something very very personal and like this is sort of the way you want to be expressing these these thoughts and feelings I don't know just like issues like that ever come up for you no um no I understand that but no I think um I I think I 
no longer view writing as precious. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, it's okay to give a bunch of notes and cross out a bunch of stuff. And I think that's just from my own experience of undergrad. I studied, I made my own major in, in undergrad, but I, I did a lot of songwriting and poetry writing and got a lot of papers back that were just yeah. my words just Looks crossed like out and feedback and so much red. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, you know, and then I went and revised it and the work was stronger. So I I think a few things, one is, is understanding that like, when you get feedback on the work, if you like the original poem or song, you don't have to change it. Like you can just stick with the original and it doesn't hurt to try out editing and revising to see if it can be stronger. And then it also depends on your audience, you know, like if you're writing for yourself and like it feels powerful for you, you don't need to change anything. But if you're writing with the hopes that like someone is going to listen to the song and feel something. And if, you know, I receive the song and I'm like, this is confusing (laughs) or, you know, you're, you're using a lot of extra words that you don't need. And and that's a big one is we want to put in a bunch of extra words and it dilutes the power of the words. So I think especially for lyric and poetry writing, oftentimes it's just going through and like crossing out like words that you don't actually need or circling the words that are the most powerful and trying to just like actually say less so that the words that are there are are really strong, especially with nature writing, because it usually is a lot of imagery and, and emotion and, and it's um, this really beautiful balance of um, specific and general so like the personal and the universal but no I'm not afraid to to tell people <laughs> this didn't make sense or try this but it's always a suggestion you know and then if they if you want to keep your original lyric or or poetry you can always keep it the original yeah. way no I feel like much more comfortable with it when it's like like a piece of like prose writing like when I'm editing, like yeah. for Alston Pudding, then it's like, all right, this is like a superfluous paragraph. Sometimes, like I even go because I I know the expression is like brevity is the soul of wit, or like you're kind of taught to use less. But then sometimes you do come across things. It's like you sh- you should expand this. Like this is should like mm-hmm. add a sentence or two more to just sort of like because this is a really good thought. Just pull that thread a little a little more. Yeah, I think um, I don't know our 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 work is like stronger than us. We can like toss it around a little bit and let it get beat up and change things, and it'll be fine. So, but yeah, that class has been a joy to teach, and in general, teaching has been really awesome. I think I was always a little hesitant to teach because often the teaching that was presented to me was teaching kids, and I find like a classroom of kids stressful. <laughs> yeah, so teaching. Uh, teaching adults has been, I don't know, it's nice because they want to be in the class and I don't have to grade them. I think if I had to grade my students, that would really be a bummer. <laughs> it's, and writing is like a hard thing to grade. It's like in that vein of what I was just talking about, where it's like, it is really personal. Like, it's tough to, I don't know, like, I, I wouldn't feel right telling you like, this is a C plus poem versus like this other person's, which is like an A poem. Yeah. And I don't know. There's so much about that of like, maybe it's not a great poem, but you tried hard or like maybe the person, the other person's poem is better because like they had a bunch of resources growing up that allowed them to 
be a better poet. Like, it's just so it's, I don't know. There's so much to it. That's like, for me, it's like you paid to be in the class. So, you know, I'm offering you suggestions. I'm offering you techniques. And if you don't want to participate in that, or if you don't want to show up, like, that's cool. Like you, you paid to be here. And other than that, like, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, which is like trying to teach you things. That makes more a better exchange to me than kind of like, than like rating stuff. And yeah. So I'm really glad that I don't have to grade. Makes the experience a lot better. Hearing you talk about, you know, like having to teach writing about nature. I haven't thought about this like memory in, in ages, but I had a, a teacher, like my, one of my favorite teachers from high school, uh, my English teacher, like freshman and senior year. I remember freshman year, she made us do an exercise where we had to like write about a tree, like describe mm-hmm. a tree. But she like skewered everybody's submission because everybody kind of used very metaphorical, like flowery language, like trying to like, mm-hmm this oak tree stands tall, like a soldier stuff like that. And she was like, you're not actually describing the tree. You're like, Mm -hmm. you're trying to relate it to something else. Like I told you to describe the tree. I don't know. It was a very like powerful, like profound message about writing where it's like, you know, metaphors and similes are great and can, you know, help like a reader understand things better or like understand what you're trying to say better. But it's also in many cases can distance the writing from what you're actually trying to talk about sometimes. Yeah. And I think for me, I think it's all like tools, like it's all tools for creativity and it's important. Um, I remember my first poetry class in college. um, My professor was like, you need to know grammar. Um, If you decide that you don't want to use it, that's fine. But you need to understand how grammar works in, you know, in poetry so that if you want to use it as a tool, you can. So like, don't limit yourself, you know? And I think that's where some people get frustrated is they're like, it's my writing. Like I want to describe the tree as, you know, in a metaphor. And it's like, yeah, but you need to have the tool to be able to describe it literally as well. And so if then in your own writing, you want to go do whatever you want. Cool. But you need to know how to do all these other things. And as an artist and for our craft, it's important to have a wide variety of, of, of tools. That's always how I think about teaching too, is it's like, I'm trying to give my students more possibilities when it comes to their writing. The same teacher that I was just talking about, since you said you like, you have no grammar, the same teacher, another thing she said about writing sort of is related to that she was like you need to know the rules to be able to break them like and, and oh yeah break, totally break them in a way that like like works that it doesn't just feel like you're being like a lazy writer or something yeah I mean I feel I mean there's so much more grammar I'm sure I could study and get like very deep into it but what I do know I'm often playing and teasing at it and manipulating it and so I'm glad that I understand the basics or else I wouldn't be able to have that tool to kind of, you know, then disrupt it. <laughs> so how does um, nature come up in your own lyric writing? Right now I'm working on an album that is all about nature. That's like the theme of it. Yeah, I kind of just really I was so ready after feelings came out to like not work on <laughs> feelings anymore. <laughs> and um. I, so I'm a spiritual person and, and part of my, I guess, 
I don't really, spirituality philosophy is working with the wheel of the year. And so that's the theme for like the concept for the album I'm working on right now. And it's called Cycle and Change, um, which is the name of one of the songs. So the wheel of the year basically is based off of where the sun is in the year. And it kind of thinks of, of every year almost as like a, a lifespan. So starting with Yule winter solstice, which is the, the shortest light, the least amount of light, um, and then ending with Halloween, All Hallows Eve. And there are eight sun holidays throughout the year. And so I'm trying to write at least one song for each of those eight seasons. Some seasons have several. So I'm, I've got 13 songs, but there's like two or three seasons that haven't gotten a song yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's a good, it's a good challenge. Um, and yeah, it's actually, I think, allowing me to, a lot of my lyric writing and poetry writing have been very separate. And this project is actually really allowing me to write a lot more in a poetic way, more specific, less generalized. Um, It's a really fun challenge, I think, as a songwriter to give myself boundaries, limits, structure, and then say like, you know, go write a song about summer. Okay, that's the structure. What, how else do I, what do I want to say about that season? That's not, you know, and it's not a pop album. So I don't want it to just be like, you know, kind of summertime fun, whatever. Yeah. Like, what do I want to say about summer? I grew up on Cape Cod. So I think it's going to be about kind of that nostalgia. I'm, I'm actually having a really hard time with summer. It was like, I have all, all these winter songs and fall songs, and I'm having a hard time with summer. So, what part of the Cape are you from? What town? Yeah, I'm from the Mashpee, Falmouth area. Okay. I say it's like the the flabby part of the arm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've um, my grandfather lived in Yarmouth for the last years okay. of his life, and so like my mom still like has his house down there, and so oh, I'm actually going to be down there for like Thanksgiving because that's where we where oh, we do holidays too, yeah. now. Nice, yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite place in the world, and I feel very spiritually connected to it. Yeah, so I've been just kind of writing a lot about more more place and I think moments in my life where nature uh, amazed me but yeah I'm having a really hard time writing a song about Cape Cod there's like so much I want to write so I think what I need to do is kind of like write like 10 songs about Cape Cod and then like you know do what I tell my students do is like edit edit Mm -hmm. edit edit and that probably within that those 10 there'll be one that feels good for, for the album so yeah, but that's kind of where I don't know. I'm feeling very inspired. But my feelings was not about nature at all, really. It was about feelings. And now I'm I've moved on and I'm feeling very inspired by nature. And and I think that's just as kind of it, it's part of my spirituality, but it also has just been, you know, the last almost two years now have been very isolating and and the thing that I've been spending most of my time doing is being in nature or that's where I found a lot of solace. So I think that's kind of where that's coming up. And then just kind of the concept of thinking of a year as a life cycle. And, and so I'm thinking about a lot of other, one of the songs is kind of, I I wrote it in the spring and my grandmother had just died. So there's that aspect of nature sprinkled in there too. So yeah, we'll see. I'm, it's, I'm still completely in the thick of it. It's like, still kind of soup (laughs) it's not like a solid form yet 
but it's I'm enjoying having the time to write and the process of writing. Sorry to hear about your grandmother. Oh, they, it's okay. It was, uh, she lived a very long life and we were, I feel very lucky that she died right like two weeks before COVID hit the U.S. Mm-hmm. in a big way. And so we were able to be with her and yeah, but it is kind of just, I think that's, for me, that's part of the album is, is all of these changes that I see reflected in my life and reflected in nature that are kind of, some of them are hard to digest and figuring out a way to deal with that. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that too, I think with COVID and and friendships as well. A lot of the songs have those themes of just like either people I haven't been able to see or, or people who like, because of all the craziness of COVID, I'm like not really friends with anymore. So that's also part of like the, I think cycle and change concept and, um, mulling over still yeah i know i know a lot of people like myself included who have there's definitely relationships the past roughly two years there's a sort of universal vibe of like if this relationship or this habit or what have you isn't really beneficial to you then like it's totally okay to like end that whether it's a relationship with a person, like a romantic relationship, a friendship, a relationship with, I don't know, like a particular substance. Like I've been trying to smoke weed a lot less because it, I, like, it just makes me feel very anxious. And this is not a great time to feel very anxious. And kind of the opposite of what it, yeah. <laughs> what it should be doing. Right. <laughs> what it used to do, it like chills out my anxiety. Now it does the opposite. And I'm like, what happened yeah. here? <laughs> Uh, and that maybe is a good segue to because that like the thought ran through my mind that like, why has weed betrayed me <laughs> in this way?
So when I listened to um, to the first couple tracks on feelings, home and I think feeling my feelings are um, mm-hmm. about your endometriosis, and there's very specific language about sort of feeling betrayed by your own body. I think you had used that phrase when I saw you a couple months ago at uh, Club Passim mm-hmm. when you were introducing the song. And so, like, I can't relate to having endometriosis, but I I did relate to that, that phrase, that expression. Cause when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And so it, like, mm-hmm. since then there was like a long process of definitely feeling like I was not at home in my own body. Like I, you know, like, did I do something wrong? Like, did I do something to like upset my body where it like, it stopped doing like my pancreas stopped performing one of its main primary functions. And yeah. And you have to like accept that it's it's nothing you did. It's like not your not your fault. But now you are sort of levied with this baggage that like I have to be aware of this and conscious of this and I have to relearn to trust my body. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've been talking with my dear friend Morgan Mitchell. She is an artist who lives up in Maine. We leave each other a voicemail every morning on our on our walks. That's sweet. Yeah, and and she has a chronic illness, and and endometriosis is a chronic illness, and so we talk a lot about that. And one of the things that we've been thinking about is, first of all, how many people we know with with chronic illnesses who are young people, uh, you know, people in their thirties and twenties who have chronic illnesses, autoimmune disorders, and just kind of thinking a lot about how you know, we're, we're musing that part of that is, is actually climate change. And that like that, you know, we, as people are of nature and we have made it, we've put so many chemicals into our environment and plastics and we're messing with, with our habitat and we're making it actually not good for, for us either. And I think we can think about that in like big disaster ways, but but it just is like, I know at least with endo, I saw a graph 
And it was like the rise of chemicals in, in the atmosphere and the rise of endometriosis diagnoses were like basically together. So it's, it's thinking a little bit too about like as a generation, like it, it means we maybe have to kind of show up differently in our environment and for our bodies. And we have to maybe spend more time taking care of our bodies which is like super, I think, super punk and anti-capitalist to kind of, you know, say, I can't be working and consuming all the time because my body needs a certain amount of attention and care. And in capitalism, that's very frustrating. But if you're trying to dismantle capitalism, I think it's very exciting. And it's like part of the work of our generation is, is dealing with all of our varied illnesses and problems. Yeah. <laughs> like it really does have to start like, at home, home being yeah. the body. It's the same thing, I think, with like love, where you have to like start with self-love before you can really yeah. like express that towards other people. Yeah. And it's and it's also an understanding of like we are, and this kind of comes back to my nature writing class a little bit, but like we are not outside of nature. We're a part of it, right? So when we, you know, put chemicals in the water, we're like, oop, that's bad for the environment. Shouldn't have done that. But we're the environment. It's bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> like we are, we're all, it's all on it. Like we're all a part of it. And I, I think it's a hard lesson. And I think it's a generational lesson, maybe several generations of learning that we're going to have to figure out, you know, how to undo a lot of the damage we've done if we can undo it. But I think nature is intelligent and is going to balance itself out. And so I think part of the rise of like so many people having illnesses and allergies and diseases is that that balancing of nature, you know, you can't. You can't survive in an environment that has microplastics in your food without serious consequences. And, you know, the consequences are going to be all of these random diseases that we all have. And then I think the rebalancing is if we're all chronically ill <laughs> or if a huge slice of the population is chronically ill, it means we're going to have to go slower, which then is kind of, I think, how capitalism breaks down a little bit. When I'm able to think of it in a philosophy mindset and like step outside of myself, there's a part of me that's like, ooh, let's see how this plays out. But when I'm like actually in pain, it's, I'm kind of like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think that's a great point because I think capitalism has kind of conditioned us to see, view nature as like a commodity and, yeah. and like something that we can we can have dominion over and control when we're part of nature. We need to exist like, symbiotically with nature. Nature is larger than us. And we're like, we are a part of it. It's not something we can like the whole, the whole concept of land ownership is like really strange. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much and it's like, it, it also, I think it is an understanding too of the, the intersection of capitalism and, and colonialism and, and patriarchy and supremacy, right? It, it, it all of those things are connected. They're not separate issues. And like, so all of the issues they cause are also connected to, right? So thinking of all of the kind of different social justices we're trying to like work for, like they're all actually really woven together. Um, and yeah, any idea that we are, and just any concept of hierarchy or supremacy is totally made up. And I think it's, trying to step away from that concept all the time is really important of, of thinking of it that way and in nature and in race and then all the ways that it comes up. Mm -hmm. And I know 
because I listened to the beginning of it this morning, knowing that I was going to talk to you because someone else had recommended it. Uh, you were on a podcast recently, like a Harry Potter podcast recently, oh, talking yeah. about like yeah. supremacist structures within the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. So that was, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. I'm not like super hip to like Potterverse stuff, but it was. Have you, I mean, have you read the books? I've read four and a half books. Okay, and I got so cool. to the fifth one when it came out and I was like, I don't know that this is for me anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, you know, I, people really, really love it. And, you mm -hmm. know, no, like I'm, I love Lord of the Rings. So like, that's my <laughs> fantasy nerd stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I started retreating a lot to books during the beginning of the pandemic and started re-listening or yeah I was on did audiobook re-listening to Harry Potter as like escapism basically and there was so much parallel to <laughs> like the Trump administration and what was going on in our country and to the Harry Potter books and I was like oh this is not escapism at all like this is what's happening in our universe and um so yeah I just started thinking about this could be a really great tool to teach people about supremacy and teamed up with not sorry productions. And they gave me a platform to teach that class this past summer. So it was, yeah, Harry Potter and wizard supremacy was the name of the class. And, and we read just different excerpts of the books and looked at supremacy in the wizarding world. And then we looked at supremacy in our world and, and in ourselves. I just think that those books are a really powerful tool because oftentimes I think people get really upset when you're talking about supremacy and you're the first thing you do is try and point out where they, they how they're being <laughs> a supremacist, right? <laughs> or where there's supremacy in their life. And it's a lot easier to talk about these things um, in fiction first mm -hmm. um, and in fiction with characters that we love, but characters that are, are flawed. And also the books have, yeah, have been really problematic recently um, because of JK Rowling, um, being very transphobic. And so there was a part of me that was like, I really still love these books and I want to do something with them that isn't just adding to this kind of, you know, now like negative association I, I have with them, something that is positive. So it's a really great tool. I mean, you could, there's so many, just kind of the separation first of, of wizards and muggles. And then the fact that the ministry of magic, which is the law enforcement is run just by wizards, even though they have dominion over house elves, goblins and centaurs. Right. So, but there's no like representation. So even just like the very basic structure of the book is a really great way to look at supremacy and 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 see it and then there's all of these microaggressions really small things too and characters we love characters that i identify with say and do you know supremacist minded things so i think through learning about the books that way looking at the books through that lens we can also see like oh it, it's really hard when you grow up and live in a supremacist culture you basically cannot escape it and you have to actively be unlearning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we need to kind of all kind of be walking around assuming that supremacy has affected us. And we have to think about, um, yeah, how to deconstruct, decolonize our, our minds. Mm -hmm.
um, any kind of, and, and that can be, you know, we talked mainly, we were talking about racial supremacy, but that's any kind of idea that like, I'm better than have power or authority over someone else. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have that concept, which is how our society is structured, right? That's capitalism, that's patriarchy, that's racism. All of that is, is structured on someone's on top and someone's beneath them. And it's a pyramid scheme, right? So it just is kind of like, you have to topple over the pyramid and, and think about like, well, what, how can I train my brain to think that like no one's on top? Like no one is better than me and no one is worse than me. No one's on top. And it's just constantly relearning that. Yeah, It's really hard. Uh, and it sort of drills into us like this inherent idea of like competition that like I'm at odds with other people around me who are also trying to succeed where it's like maybe if we've adopted a mindset more of, you know, working together that we could all find success rather than like one of us having more success than the other. Yeah, it, it just is so many concepts start to unravel when you are able to say like, there is no supremacy. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a made up concept. There is nothing inherently better or worse about any human being. So when we take that away, we're experiencing supremacy because we've made up all of these, you know, hierarchies. But like, when you take that away, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, what structures do we want in our society? And that's like where the fun part comes is like, and we, we did that too sometimes in the book of like, how could we rewrite this section? How could we use magic to create restorative justice? Like all of these different things, thinking about it. But I think it just is, and I don't have the answer, right? Like I've looked at a lot of different types of governments recently trying to like study like oh what type of government do I actually want and like honestly the only one that's interesting to me is anarchy <laughs> so like I, I don't I don't know if I have an answer for a better solution but it is just constantly trying to trying to remind myself at least that like there's no hierarchy so what any kind of concept of race to the top or competition, like you were saying, if there isn't actually a hierarchy, doesn't exist. And if there isn't a hierarchy, what is there instead? What do I want there to be instead? How can I foster that in a small way in my life? What does that look like for me? It might look like giving up power sometimes. It might look like gaining more power sometimes. I don't know. But I think it's, for me, the any, and you can do it with any book, any, because all, because we live in a, a supremacist culture, all our books have supremacy in them. But I think using fiction to, to, to teach us is a very powerful tool. Yeah. Cause I've had people tell me that like, they don't read fiction. They don't have time for fiction. And I'm like, there's so much to offer within fiction. It, you know, offers an opportunity to like hold a lens to our own society and like examine those structures that are in place. I don't know. Uh, if you have read or have seen the new Dune movie, but um, there's plenty of criticism because it's sort of like a, like it's definitely a, a text about colonialism, but I think it's like yeah. very yeah. unaware, like it lacks sort of a self-awareness at times. Because, I mean, we definitely needed another narrative of like, it's about a like a rich kid who takes psychedelic drugs and decides <laughs> that he's the messiah. At like um, the messiah for this other race of people who are like this, this, for a whole this other planet population. Of people. yeah yeah you know so it's like a a white savior narrative yeah but i 
I've read the first two Dune books and saw the movie. The movie actually got me back into a theater. I hadn't been in a theater in almost two years. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I love looking at it. It's gorgeous. I think it's good for us to have, well, both. I think we should have options. I think it's good to have science fiction um, and fantasy where there aren't the problems that we have of today. That's a beautiful escape. Um, But I also think it's good for us to look at the problems we have today through a lens of science fiction fantasy and think about them as well. And, and so I don't necessarily think that, you know, all movies or all, or all books should be kind of like a utopia (laughs) that like colonialism no longer exists because it's the future. It's like, no, we probably are still dealing with that. So I think it's good, but it also you have to be aware of it and aware of Paul's flaws as a character. Which I think there are um, several. When I, I reread, yeah. I've like been <laughs> anticipating the movie like since it was announced. So this year I like was like, I'm going to reread the book. And I was like, man, I hate this kid. He's, he's, easily, <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of flaws. He's easily like the most boring character. All the best scenes, I think, are told from his mother's perspective, which I feel like the movie didn't capture as well as I was hoping. Mm-hmm. Although I will say some of my favorite characters, Duncan Idaho. And so like Jason yeah. Momoa's character. And I think that was such a good casting call. He's just like a totally dope dude. And like, yeah, he was great. Like that's what Jason Momoa, he's just like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I was pretty satisfied. I mean, for me reading the books, I just read the first two but I was like, oh, these are feminist novels. And I was pretty happy with the way that they portrayed Jessica. And some of the scenes in the movie, I was like, I have, I don't think I've ever seen a woman on screen portrayed this way, especially as a mother, right? She's a mother, but at the same time, like she's not putting Paul above everything. Like she is grooming Paul basically for this, you know, for this bigger thing that's bigger than him. And she's seen that. And we always see mothers will do anything to sacrifice for their children. And she loves him and she cares for him, but there's something beyond him that's more important to her, right? Kind of her religion, almost, or her her philosophy, her life belief. And she is smart and powerful. You know, he cares about her, but he never actually has to like say, save her at any point. Like there just as there's a, it's a relationship dynamic I've never seen on screen. For me, it was like what I wanted the end of Game of Thrones to be was like Daenerys like comes in and is like this boss. And instead we got like, oh, she goes crazy. Yeah. Typical woman. And so we decided, like, we like, decided in the last episode <laughs> to make her like, yeah. <laughs> go crazy yeah exactly maybe if like maybe that would have worked if you had developed it more over like oh drove me crazy (laughs) but yeah i so i i yes the books are flawed the movie has flaws i think it was beautiful though and i was really happy with some of the feminism that i think they put in in the movie and the way pretty much all of the female characters were portrayed and and also just i don't think I've seen women portrayed that way in any movie ever. So that that to me was powerful. But it's also like one of those movies where like I could watch it without any sound. Like it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely loved looking at it. I think I had such high expectations going in that I was like walking out. I was like, 
All right. They made it. But there's I think that's a great point. I like the it is a story that has like pretty much every female character is very self-reliant and autonomous. Yeah. I mean, especially when you get to the second half of the book, too, with Paul's, you know, big spoiler, but with Paul's sister and like, I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of power there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's exciting. I, but I love sci-fi. I'm a nerd. Yeah, I so. do too. <laughs> the whole concept of the Bene Gesserit, like this this mm -hmm. society of women who are like doing a lot of behind the scenes work to like their whole goal is to make the universe a utopia. But mm -hmm. like they, you know, use utilize very non-utopic methods like in the present to like justify this this end. Like they're, you know, trying to breed over hundreds of years a messiah figure yeah so i mean like the big spoilers paul ends up being that but he's like mm -hmm. not what they intended him to be and they find that they like they can't really control him the way they wanted mm -hmm. to and then and i'm glad you said you've read like the second books i hope they continue with the whole series because it gets pretty pretty batshit as it goes on yeah but the second book I I'm just, I've taken a break because I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm gonna keep reading. I think for me that it'll be a good winter read mm -hmm. to like go through an epic and I think what it, yeah, the the next few. It also is like I'm I'm have to just like be patient and wait for the library to like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> let me know that my <laughs> it's my turn to read it. So <laughs> I uh the yeah. one I because I read them all when I was like 13 and loved it and like rereading it. I was like, oh, yeah, the first one is like it's like Space Game of Thrones because there's all these. Yeah, like, yeah. You have to read so much like political stuff. There's so much like subtle like courtroom politics. But like moving forward, I think it's like the fourth or fifth one. God Emperor of Dune is like absolute mm -hmm. bonkers. And I, I really want them <laughs> to like get to that point in the movies because i would love to see them just go for something that weird because like, it basically what happens is paul's son transforms into like a human sandworm hybrid like yes, a psychic here human. for it thousands of years it's like three thousand years after the first book he like rules the galaxy as this psychic <laughs> sandworm that's so bonkers and it's wonderful <laughs> so i hope they get to that point yeah, I think so. You can't like pass over the psychic sandworm. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, so the the reason I know about the the Harry Potter podcast is because a friend of yeah. mine, um, my friends Desiree and Diana, took a tarot class of yours. Oh, cool. And so that's how. So I hit her up yesterday because I was like, "Hey, I know, I know you're you follow Naomi and follow what they do. If you could ask them a question, I've been starting to outsource my <laughs> my interview questions." <laughs> Yeah, so she brought that up that I should uh, ask you about that. But then she also sent along a question from Diana because mm -hmm. she wanted to ask about your Saturn return. Oh, and how that, okay. How's that going? <laughs> so my Saturn return ended. Okay. It's over. So I'm going to say caveat. I am not an astrologer. So I know a lot about my own chart and I'm getting into astrology, but gosh, there's so, it's so complicated that it's like, I don't know if I'll ever have enough time to feel like I mm. truly get it. Um, but my Saturn is in Capricorn. And so I experienced my Saturn return and 
it ended last year. And my Capricorn is in the ninth house of higher education and travel. And so basically my whole Saturn return, I, I, I lived in Spain and I got my master's. And so like, I had a very literal, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) ninth house Saturn return experience. So it was good. I, I mean, it was exhausting, but it was good. I'm, I, I like Saturn. A lot of people think it's scary, hard, challenging. Saturn return is, is all about boundaries mm-hmm. and especially Saturn and Capricorn. Cause Saturn is about boundaries and Capricorn is about restrictions. So, but I need boundaries and restrictions and I like those things. And so I think if you're like living your life kind of like, woo, when your Saturn return comes, it's like a slap in the face. But I think if you're someone who's like me, who like wants a to-do list and wants discipline, the Saturn return was just more of what I am always experiencing. And right now Saturn is in my 10th house of career. And I mean, it's really been quite literal. Like my whole career has just kind of like toppled open and spilt out and everything's different than it was before Saturn entered Aquarius. I'm like a freelance artist now. And I, I've been able to dedicate so much time to music. And also I have all these other career opportunities I've never even thought of from teaching and producing. And yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. So I'm just like down for the ride, I guess. Nice. nice. Trying to, (laughs) yeah. There's a part of me that's like, if you, but this is how, who I am. It's like, embrace the boundary of it, of like, what in your life needs to just like be tossed to the curb, (laughs) kind of like what needs to be purged. And then also like, where can you actually create limits and structures and boundaries that are going to allow freedom? I think we often think that boundaries restrict freedom. And for me, especially with creativity, but I think in all aspects of life, Boundaries and structures and limits allow us to then be free, like without floating away, right? Yeah. Like literally gravity is a boundary. If we didn't have gravity, we'd all just be like space monkeys. Yeah, so it is, <laughs> yeah, we need that boundary of gravity, which it's, sometimes is frustrating that we have the limitation that we can't just like float off into space, but also it's really good that we're not just untethered all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's thinking about like what in your life need some structure so that what you want in your life can freely float around and happen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of painstakingly creating that structure, which might be sometimes like burning everything down and throwing it away or, you know, kicking certain people or things to the curb that don't serve you. Mm -hmm. I like the hard stuff. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I want to, I want to challenge and and I I like, I like the hard stuff, but I, I will say this after my Saturn return, I, I needed a, a nap. <laughs> I, I feel like I was tired for a, a year. <laughs> like I just, I'm like, feel like I'm finally not tired anymore. So yeah, I've started yeah. feeling that recently where like, I mean, part of it has to do with living in pandemic times where it's just like yeah. every, yeah. every day felt like, like, Oh, I'm worried about so much more than I would no- be normally worried about, you know, like I am generally pretty anxious person, but living under covid it was like like i remember i had like a the first couple of weeks i had a, like a panic attack in trader joe's because i was just like there's a lot of there's a lot of people here yeah so yeah like definitely 
the past couple months felt like a little a little easier to just sort of like breathe a little bit like other things have like worked out well in the past couple months that like oh i i feel like i actually have things to feel good about and like like celebrate in my life more than i did a year ago yeah it does feel like I mean, like, obviously there are certain people having their Saturn return, but it does feel kind of like the whole world is experiencing a Saturn return right now in terms of like so, so much stuff that like we have to kind of comb through and figure out. And so it's hard to be experiencing change on an individual level when there's so much change happening on a global level that is like so out of our control and, but also is affecting us so deeply. Mm -hmm. How's the uh, how's the full moon lunar eclipse working out? Oh, not good. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Still processing it. Not great. Just kind of yeah. <laughs> I, I so I'm a Taurus rising, and so this new eclipse season, I think for the next until 2023 through 2023, is all happening in Taurus. Mm. So it's all my house of self. So I'm not super excited about that. The eclipse itself was kind of just a crazy day, but feeling a little bit of relief from it. And we'll see, I don't know, trying to go slow, I guess. Yeah. That's always my, always my refrain. I'm an incredibly impatient person. So I'm always just trying to like allow myself to go a little bit slower. It's like, but, and the irony is like my body does not really allow me to go very fast. So I'm like... Well, having them like okay. the eclipse focused in like Taurus, that should, that's a sign that's like about being chill and like taking time. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> maybe it'll be, I hope it's like beneficial to like help you find that good pace. Yeah, it's, I talk about myself in the third person all the time. And I, it's either I say Taurus or Sagittarius. And it's, I'm in this constant, I'm, I have Taurus rising and I have a, a ton of stuff in Capricorn. And then I have all the Sagittarius stuff and all, all my Capricorn stuff is in the ninth house. So it's this constant pull and tug between part of me, like just wants to stay home and chill out and relax and just like work quietly. And another part of me is like, fuck it, we should be traveling the world and like meeting a bunch of people and doing crazy shit. And so there's like these two, it's a constant tug of war in there between like, go slow, be patient. And this other part of me that just wants to like explode and blow shit up. So <laughs> sometimes Taurus is winning. Sometimes Sagittarius is winning. We'll see. <laughs> I'm a, a Taurus sun and a Gemini rising. And mm. like, so Taurus wants to like, chill out and stay home and like just just relax and like vibe and gemini's like no i gotta talk to people i gotta go out and meet people i gotta like i gotta <laughs> I gotta what's what's happening what's happening i gotta know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i don't know the pandemic has been great for my tourist side it's like been a lot of like watercolors and gardening and my poor Sagittarius is like bored really really bored <laughs> yeah <laughs> before the pandemic hit like my husband and I were thinking about like moving to Spain again. Like that was where my head was at. So where in Spain were you when you lived there? Yeah, I was in Valencia, Spain. So I was getting my master's at Berkeley and they have a, a performance and production program in Valencia. And I'd never been to Spain before. I don't speak any Spanish. It was a crazy year. It, the program is you get your master's in nine months, which is honestly inhumane. I was <laughs> like just... <laughs> 
I, I think I worked like 80 hour weeks every week. It was crazy. Um, but it was also amazing. I mean, just, we traveled a lot in Europe and got to go to Morocco and met a lot of amazing people. And I made a bunch of music and, um, yeah, it was a really great year. Exhausting, but really amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been looking into programs that'll let me like go to Spain and teach English because I've like I've always yeah. wanted to live there. Uh, specific, like my first top choice would be Barcelona, but I've also been to Valencia mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful. I've never been so those are mainly the two places I've been because I went when I graduated high school. But it, it's so it's so beautiful and like I would really really love to to live like I've never lived abroad and so yeah I would love that opportunity. I think I I mean I think it's I think it's so. I think traveling is an important thing if you have the opportunity and privilege to do it because it, it helps you learn about yourself and where you came from and, you know, beyond it just being fun to like experience music and food and other people and other culture. I think it's a great reflection tool of why do I do things this way when other people do them this way? And let me think about my, my country culture and my family structure and myself Mm -hmm. And just like understand that Morocco was really powerful to go somewhere where I think it's like 98, 90, 98% of the population are Muslim. So to be somewhere where basically the whole population all has the same religion was really, even though it's not my religion or spirituality at all, it it was very powerful to be surrounded by just community prayer, prayer, like that was astonishing to me. And it felt spiritual just being around people who, as a as a nation, you know, have kind of put religion in in the center of of their culture. Yeah. Religion's important in our culture, right? But it's kind of more of a culture war thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the I mean, I don't think we have enough time to get into the <laughs> the relationship of like the United States and Christianity, like for a cu- culture that like, or for a country that like we were founded on the separation of church and state theoretically sometimes it's really tough to see that in effect yeah i have some some like iffy some like issues with with (laughs) american christianity very specifically yeah i think i think our culture often uses religion as a tool for power Mm -hmm. instead of as a tool to connect to god yeah and, and I think like just, just as simple as that, it's, it's not so much about any specific person or, or even religion, but I think our country uses religion for ways that I don't think religion should be used for. Yeah. I, we can, we can leave that. At yeah. There. I mean, there's a lot to, yeah, lots to talk about, yeah. but <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, another, a future episode, we can dive into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay. I woke before the sun. I'm trying not to give in to darkness. And I 
I'm still waiting on it. I prefer the day to the night. Cause I don't cry when the sky is like blue. Anyway, we're coming on to about an hour. So I think it's, this is a good time to, to wrap up. But yeah, is there anything upcoming that you would like to plug? I think everybody should go listen to your EP, Feelings, which came out. Was it over the summer? How long ago? It was a couple months ago. Yeah, the September, September okay. the beginning of September it came out. Um, yeah, I mean, go check out Feelings. I It's weird because I'm I'm very proud of the work, but I'm also so sick of it. Sick of it. I just like, you know, I listened to it like a thousand times and I'm like, ooh, I don't want to play these songs anymore. You put it but out, I'm very proud of the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The actually kind of actually still on, on topic with religion, I have a holiday EP coming out. Um, Ooh, December 10th. <laughs> yeah. Um, I secretly love holiday music a lot. <laughs> um, like a lot, a lot. So yeah, there's, there's three originals. It's a, it's a, um, seven song album and it's in collaboration with Heather Scott from Hawthorne. And yeah, the, I, I engineered it, which is, um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not an engineer but we had no budget and so I just was like yeah I was like we'll just record everything here in my office and I'm I'm actually very excited for the work it's I think because we did everything ourselves I'm like you know what this sounds pretty good mm. considering like I mastered it and I'm not even sure I understand what mastering is <laughs> like yeah <laughs> so um, what are what are some of the the covers you do? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing um all that I want, which is a Weepies cover, and then we did some old old carols. So the Friendly Beasts, which is um an old Christmas carol, yeah, I've never and then heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. And then um Low Howie Rose Air Blooming, which is an old German hymn, I think from the 1400s. So those are the the three covers and then um yeah we've got some originals on there so that's the most thing that's coming up uh pretty quickly and i'm teaching a tarot class with not sorry productions um starting in january so it's tarot as a sacred um practice so kind of 
a little bit less of a tarot 101 or or what do these cards mean and and really just more about how do you want to create meaning with the, you know this art these archetypes and you know it's we can do it however people want to so i'll be talking about different readings but a lot of creative stuff how to create your own tarot card spread how to um, use tarot to write stories mm-hmm. all kinds of fun stuff very cool uh and if yeah. so if people want to listening to this want to sign up for that where where should they go to to do that yeah you can just go to my website um just naomiwestwater.com and uh in the events page it's up there or same with my instagram just at naomiwestwater um all of all the things i'm up to are are up there awesome naomi thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me this was really great yeah thanks harry i I feel like we talked a little bit about music and mainly talked about other really fun stuff i I like (laughs) i like to keep that balance where it's like you know yeah i want you to be able to talk about your music but also like (laughs) i don't just want it to be like a q a about yeah you know no, I would way rather talk about astrology and sci-fi. So yeah. it's really fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down yeah. again. And I look forward to catching one of your shows soon. If you got any coming up, I'm, you know, I follow you. So I keep an eye out for them. Yeah, thanks. I've got, um, we're doing a like holiday EP celebration at Club Passim on the 16th. Okay, cool. I think it'll be a very sweet show, like a a, a sweet as in like charming, not Mm. sweet as in like sweet, but like adorable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I'm excited for it. If you like holiday music, if you don't like holiday music, it will feel like, you know, 90 minutes of torture. So (laughs) I I, I like a little bit, you know, I have a playlist (laughs) called the good Christmas songs. Yeah. But, okay. Like, What's on it? Um, geez. Uh, or, or send me your good Christmas songs playlist if you if you feel vulnerable enough to do so. <laughs> uh, no, I got it right here. So it's the Darlene Love song, uh, "Baby, Please Come mm-hmm. Home." That's like my favorite. Uh, Christmas wrapping by the Waitresses. I, that's. I mean, I think that's my favorite. I, I have. I'll oh. say that about ten million songs, but <laughs> Christmas wrapping is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then an assorted sort of other ones like Fairy Tale in New York by the Pogues, Christmas and Hollis, mm-hmm. some of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, that's a really nice album. Yeah, and there's, there's like some Stevie Wonder, The Killers are on here, Tegan and Sarah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just like the ones that I know that I like versus like, like I, I think Mariah Carey is great. But that song, which I don't need to say the title of because we all know it, is like it feels inescapable at times. I remember a couple years ago, I was working down near Faneuil Hall and they were getting the holiday, all the holiday stuff up, like the big Christmas tree. Yeah. And it was like my lunch break. And I was like just sitting in Faneuil Hall and they were testing the sound system. And they just it just started blasting all through Faneuil Hall. And I was like, I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> and like it just sprinted out of Faneuil Hall because it was like the whole plaza was just blasting that. And I was like, this is my nightmare. I feel like it got worse. Like I, I don't feel like the song was that big when it came out. And I feel like in the last few years it has gotten 
bigger somehow. I don't know. I'm like, girl, get it. She's making so much money off of this one song. That's another thing. There's like, part of me loves Christmas music. And then there's like a very like capitalist part of me. That's like Mm. one Christmas hit is all you need to be set up for life. (laughs) (laughs) Have you gone down the Scythian Stevens double album, double album? Oh, Christmas rabbit hole. No, but I should. (laughs) Because some of it's weird, yeah. it's good and weird, and I it's that's my that's my go to is just those I two do double Sophie albums. On, but like yeah. sometimes I'm like, am I in the mood to be sad? Like my favorite album of his is, yeah. is Carrie and Lowell, which is like probably his saddest album. Yeah, and I'm like, do I really want to listen to this? Yeah, some of some of the stuff I would say the first album's not super sad. No, There's yeah. some actually really cute. We're going to the country. It's like this very adorable, sweet little song. And then I think the second Christmas album is darker, but also more experimental. So some of the things are weird mm. and fun and quirky. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So I look forward to hearing that. I I will yeah. definitely. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that it like, I won't avoid it because it's Christmas music. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you again Yeah. for talking. I'm going to go make a green bean casserole and wonderful. Enjoy your friends giving. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Have a nice weekend and Thanks. we'll talk soon. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Bye. Harry. Bye. Southern tree.
There you have it, folks. That was my interview with Naomi Westwater. So thank you to them. Uh, thank you to Ethan. Thank you to Austin Pudding. Oh, I wanted to give an update about we went 0 for 3 at the Boston Music Awards. So you're listening to a Boston Music Award losing podcast. Hell yeah. Uh, no, uh, seriously. Um, it was such an honor to be nominated uh, for Music Journalist of the Year, for Podcast of the Year, and as a publication for Publication of the Year. Uh, we're really, really grateful for that. And the, the award ceremony was a, was a friggin' blast. I loved it. Uh, my mom showed up and surprised me. And yeah, it, it was a wonderful time. And then I, I left without saying goodbye to anyone because I love an Irish goodbye. But yeah, that, that was a great night. So thank you for the nomination. Really, really was an honor. And I will be back next year with a vengeance. But yeah, make sure you listen to Naomi Westwater's Feelings EP and then the Holiday EP called Yule. Uh, real quick, I just want to run down the list of songs that you heard in this episode. The first song was Home. Second was Strange Fruit. And those are both off Naomi's Feelings EP. The third was Solstice, which is from the Holiday EP. And finally, you just heard The Huntress and the Hound, which is from her album the Hunt, called The Huntress. Anyway, that's all I got for you this week. We will be back next week for the 2021 final episode, big grand finale, extravaganza. It's, it's gonna be... It's it's really funny talk next week. I loved conducting the interview. I won't say who it's with, but it will be the final episode of our debut year, so I'm so excited for y'all to hear it. At any rate, have a great and wonderful week, a blessed and peaceful and joyous holiday season with you and your loved ones and your family and friends and you know, be nice to each other, especially people you don't know. Do something nice for a, a stranger. Do something nice that, uh, like, that no one is going to find out about. Like, don't post about it. Don't tell anybody. Just do, just do something nice and, and keep it a secret because, because that's such a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, anyway, that's it. Peace. Bye. See you next week.